at the Barnhart podcast, it's, it's the circle of life. Everything comes back around. Today is Thursday, August 13th, 2020, time for episode 120 of the Barnhart Podcast. And dark days are upon us. I think it's time to do some prepping for what's about to come. And uh, I, for me, that means I need to get back into some serious keto, including uh, putting some salt in my coffee in the morning. You were just saying something about putting salt in your water? Yeah, I just... I don't know why I didn't think of this sooner. Um, I'm bad about drinking water. Um, one thing that I discovered that helps a lot to get me to drink water is if I drink it out of a metal canteen. I don't know if this is a universal human phenomenon, if other people experience this, but if I drink water out of a metal vessel out of a metal canteen. It tastes way better. Now, the thing that I just discovered is if you put just a tiny bit of salt in the water, it gives it, it gives it not only a little bit of a flavor, but the flavor that it gives it is that really satisfying flavor that Gatorade has minus, minus the sugar, minus the sweetness, uh, just a tiny bit of salt just makes it tastes so good and and makes it satisfying. So the combination of a tiny bit of salt in the water and drinking it out of metal, um, I think I could be, I think I could almost be converted to drinking a, a human quantity of water as I should have been all along. Okay, so many questions from this one. Um, a metal canteen, you're definitely taking prepping to a serious degree. Um, I, I, I've been meaning to do something like this, uh, maybe like a life straw or something like that in case things hit the fan and we needed to like grab water where we, well, where we can while running from the riot. But also salt in the water. Um, I don't think you're doing keto, but I've got to ask, is it you know just plain table salt, kosher salt, pink sea salt, or Himalayas, Himalayan sea salt? Or just, just table Table, table salt, salt f- fine table salt is what I went with. But if you have recommendations that I should, I should do so. I have some flavored salts, but I didn't, I didn't really go that route. Um, I just thought, well, just put it, just put a pinch of, of, of table salt in it. And the other thing I put the, I put table salt in it because it's very fine. And my water, I always put very cold water in my canteen because my canteen is insulated and I, I like the cold. And so I thought, well, if I use the fine, the fine table salt, it will dissolve better, faster, etc. So that's what I did. Well, you could always boil your water, put the salt in it, and then chill it and put it in the fridge or however you cool it and then put it in your canteen. This is true. What I usually do is I have a, I do have a, a filter pitcher in my fridge and everything that I drink goes through the filter pitcher. So. Well, there you go. Mm -hmm. In terms of different salts, the only thing I would recommend is if you are doing keto, you probably already know this, but uh, you tend to run low on potassium. So normal Mm -hmm. normal table salt, yes, that's good. But uh, there's something called light salt, L-I-T-E, and it's a combination of sodium chloride and potassium chloride. And that's specifically when you're on keto, you are not keeping up your potassium levels. And eating bananas is sort of off the menu at that point. So the if you, I mean, you're free to ignore that if you want to. You just end up waking up at two in the morning with Charlie horses and having fun trying to get back to sleep. But uh, you, you do need to supplement potassium somewhere. Sodium and uh, potassium are absolutely essential nutrients for the human body and in particular for the nervous system. Um, so I read something that said if if you're if you're fasting and you're not getting enough water, um, especially, and you get a headache. The reason you got the headache is from the 
sodium deprivation, um, uh, you're, you don't have enough water, you're dehydrated, and you don't have enough sodium. So be, be sure, because sodium has gotten, ever since I was a kid, I remember when I was a little kid is when the very first um, round of, of war against salt, um, nobody could have any salt. Everybody was, was, they were pushing salt substitutes, da, 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 da. Now, granted, Americans have always consumed a lot of salt and, um, and, you know, even some people, especially people with heart conditions and so forth, have had too much salt. But it, of, as with anything that comes out of the American dietary recommendation, anything, they always take it way too far to the extreme where you shouldn't, they make it sound like you shouldn't be consuming any salt or any sodium at all. That is absolutely false. Sodium and potassium and multiple other things are absolutely essential nutrients and fat too. Fat is an essential nutrient. You've got to get enough of these. Now, <laughs> I'm, I'm having a tangent here. You just mentioned bananas. I have to mention this. The other day, I had occasion to have an absolutely incredible sandwich. It was shaved turkey, very thinly sliced um fairly ripe soft banana shaved um i think it was i think it was either parmesan cheese or romano cheese Sh thin shaved hard parmesan or romano cheese and mayonnaise it was absolutely delicious i wholly am a, am on board with the turkey banana sandwich situation just words, words to the wise. If anybody cares, if anybody's looking for an excuse to eat a banana um, or a little bit of banana, put put banana on a turkey sandwich with mayonnaise and a little bit of salty hard cheese, and oh, oh my, oh my goodness, it was delicious. So clearly, Anne found the the one French and Cuban fusion com combination restaurant that exists. <laughs> is that what that is? Oh, banana. Well, yes. Cuban would be plantain, not or, or like plantain. No, th this was banana, and it was it was sweet, and you it wasn't much, it wasn't much, but oh boy, that combination worked, and and it would have never occurred to me. I, I mean, if I think bananas on a sandwich, I'm thinking like Elvis peanut butter bacon banana. That's, that's where about, I thought you were going with it too. Yeah, yeah, with that's chocolate that's, chips. That's, well, uh, no, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do the chocolate chip, but I'm I'm down with the with the Elvis, the toasted melty peanut butter banana bacon sandwich. I'm down with that. But that the thought to put it with turkey and like Parmesan cheese, well, it hadn't hadn't even occurred to me, and it was fantastic. Okay, that's a tangent I wasn't expecting, and I hey. don't I don't have a good joking transition to go with it, so. Uh, I guess I'll just try and jump and land in an uncomfortable position here. Speaking of yoga, uh, no, we'll, we'll hold that. There, <laughs> the, um, the, the Democratic nominee for president here in the United States, and I don't know if he still realizes he is the Democratic nominee yet. He hasn't left his basement in 74 days. Um, it was just announced who his running mate is, and it, it's the former attorney general from California whose last name is Harris. She's now a senator, and I'm intentionally not going to say her first or middle name because her first name is is an alternative version of an, a Hindu god. And if you want to read Psalms 95.5, we read at, through, from the you know, inerrant inspired word from the Holy Ghost, all of the, the gods of, of the Gentiles, including the Hindus, all the gods of the Gentiles are demons. It's kind of especially the Hindus. I mean, they're... I, I mean, obviously, all means all, 
but the Hindu gods and the reason why they have those weird, super weird contorted forms with eight arms and the head of a the head of an elephant and all of this really um, disturbing imagery is because they are in fact. They are, in fact, demons. And if you doubt this, talk to anybody who has extracted themselves from the cult of yoga, and they will tell you straight up, that is all demonology, that is for real, and yoga and, and Hinduism is a death cult whose primary objective is to turn people into, wait for it, dot, dot, dot narcissists. It's the whole objective of high-level yoga and really of Hinduism is that you're re reaching some sort of superior state where you are purged of all love and you are completely turned in on yourself. Um, not the same as healthy Christian detachment. We're talking about the purging of charity, indifference, um, and that's why when you, if you've ever gotten to know anyone who's ever been like deep into the cult of yoga. And, and guys, yoga is a straight up cult. There is no safe version of yoga. That must be shunned. And the fact that I, I think that probably it's safe to say that um, Catholic church meeting halls and, and probably other Christian church meeting halls are the number one venue for yoga classes. Um, th that's no coincidence. Um, that's no coincidence at all. They are, you know, with the infiltration of the church and the, the, the bringing in of the Freemasons and the Sodomites and the communists. I mean, you say the only thing that's missing is some sort of a devil cult. Well, you've already got that. It's yoga. It's called yoga. Do not have anything whatsoever ever to do with yoga. So, um, it's, it's, Yoga is about turning you in on yourself, purging you of love, um, and not not being merely detached, but not caring. So as a result, there's a tremendous amount of um, horrible Sixth Commandment fornication issues that swirl around um, high, uh, I'll call it high level, but you know, ser the serious practice of yoga. What I'm talking about is that people in the class, the instructor, they'll be they'll oftentimes be having sex with each other so that it's not entirely inappropriate to say that it turns into kind of a you know like a a weird swinger swinging um quasi sex cult sort of a situation and we've talked about things like this with regards to like the society for creative anachronism that's another sex cult the people who do the renaissance fair reenactments um you know all it, the devil's playbook it's all it's all the same damn thing and it, it all often ends to exactly the same stuff so you end up with yoga instructors who are having sex with you know half half of the people in his class both male and female uh, not surprising but then there's more about um what's her name and her name shouldn't be spoken because her name is literally the name of it it's a de it, her name is the name of a hindu demon god yes it, it's an it's another uh appellation for one of the hindu gods and yeah that's that's why we're not saying it in the same sense that you shouldn't ever if you happen to know the name of a demon you should not uh name it because by by the act of saying it you're invoking it this is why flipping it around invoking the name of jesus is so powerful Especially mm, when mm. You, when you're in in a a time of turmoil, when you're in a time of of temptation, uh, if somebody is physically attacking you, 
just invoking the holy name of Jesus and making the sign of the cross devoutly, that will make demons flee. And trust me, if you're on the street and you come across some of these um, peaceful protesters um, and and you, you make a devout sign of the cross and they flee, don't be surprised. I mean, it might freak you out a little bit to see the, su- the supernatural literally manifesting, but we're getting into really weird times. And, you know, this isn't magic. This isn't Harry Potter. This This is... This is the power of the Holy Spirit. And one of the things you, you mentioned about yoga, or maybe you didn't say it and I was getting ready for you to go there, was one of the, one of the, one of the uh, I guess, mantras, one of the things they, they tell you to do is clear yourself, empty your mind, empty your being of everything. Okay, that right there is a demonic thing. Mm-hmm. What, is this, what does the scripture say when, when, when the, the, the vessel is clear and nobody's there? Well, the, mm-hmm. the spirit comes back with seven more, more, seven more demons more, more vicious than himself. Now, and I'll put this link in the show notes. You do not empty yourself. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I, I've, the link is a, a search of drbo.org. Be filled with the Holy, Go- Holy Spirit. And you could probably do a, an alternate search on Holy Ghost um, and, and find just as many. But it's just it's a recurring theme throughout the New Testament. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Yes, Don't empty absolutely. yourself. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. What, what, what did the what did Ananias tell Paul when he when he got to uh, or else he was still Saul of Tarsus at that point when he gets to Damascus? You know, have faith. Be have your have your eyes be opened and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. That's what you are to do. You're to fill the vessel. You are not to empty it. And the only degree that I've ever heard in my entire life with any kind of Catholic theology was on an Ignatian retreat where the topic of emptying yourself ever came up was so that you could have God fill you more completely. Empty yourself of your selfishness so that God may more completely fill you. Mm-hmm. It was not to be empty and devoid. It's to have. It's to be all the more filled and to get out of your own way so that you can receive more graces, the graces you didn't even know that God wants to give you because you're such a klutz and you're attached to sin and you're an idiot and don't have your eyes open and all the rest. Don't empty yourself for the sake of being empty. Fill yourself with the Holy Spirit. And I think I derailed you about yoga or something. Oh, no, not at all. Um, a couple of points I want to make. First, just picking up on what you just said. Um, I think a lot of people who have, who listen to the podcast know who um, John Sr. is, um, who had the the program at the University of Kansas in the in the 70s and 80s and generated all those vocations and, and wrote The Death of Christian Culture and um, what was the sequel? The Rise of Christian Culture, I think. I have um, heard it said that Clear Creek Abbey in, in Oklahoma would not exist if it weren't for him. Or for John Sr. John Sr. was a hardcore Hindu um, in his youth. He studied Hindu extensively and um, and of course repented and came to regret it because a lot of the stuff that he wrote on Hinduism is still in circulation and is still being used to trick people into joining the, the Hindu cult. Um, but I believe it, one of the things that he said is that one the the central premise of hinduism is that reality isn't real so this is this is a expl- an explicit denial of one of my absolute favorite uh passages of scripture ever and that is um john chapter 1 which we hear almost every day at the end of the mass um in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god john what John Sr. said is that Hinduism, straight out of the gate, is is an 
absolute denial that there even is a reality. And, and, you know, it's supposed to be some, when you come to the ultimate nirvana or enlightenment, it's, it's when you realize that there is no reality or something, you know, insane like that. And then Buddhism, um, uh, took that as a point of departure and went even further with it. Um, and I think one of one of the things that John Sr. said is what, what needs to happen is you need to take these people who have fallen for this lie that there is no reality and, you know, stick their hand in a fire and, and hold it there until they concede the fact that their hand is real, the fire is real, and the, the pain is real. You know, this medicinal lesson that, you know, reality is real. It's It's one of the ultimate lies, because what comes out of that and what comes out of the whole yoga cult is if you stop denying that there's reality, then what automatically follows from that is that there is no, there is no truth and there is no objective morality. So at that point, the, you know, the yoga guru will say to the, the student of his that he wants to have sex with, um, yeah, we can go and we can go ahead and fornicate or have sodomy with each other because none of this even exists. And so it doesn't matter. So in order to prove how much we are, how much we realize that there is no reality, we can just do whatever we want. Um, this heresy sprang up in the early days of Christianity too. Um, just this denial and, and and just getting people to where they say it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter what anyone else does. There is no truth. All, all everything goes to annihilation. There is no reality. Oh, where, where have we heard that? Who also preaches that? Who also preaches that everything ends up basically in annihilation? Uh, oh, that's anti-Pope Bergoglio. That's oh, one you, of- Oh, you, you stunk me. I was going to say, it was that dude in the Matrix who said there is no spoon. Oh, that little kid in the, the creepy little kid in the Matrix. Yeah. You're, you're going to yeah. say, if there's, if there's no, if there's no truth, then everything is make-believe. And I was going to go to a couple of science fiction uh, references, and it, that just jumped out as soon as you said that. There is no spoon. All the reality is whatever you think it is. Mm -hmm. And by the very fact that you're thinking it makes it reality, which is one of the errors of- we could do an entire podcast just on that movie, The Matrix, and the the, yeah. the quote-unquote good one, not the two abominations that followed because somebody said, oh, hey, we can make money on this. And another another point to, to mention, too, when it comes to Hinduism and um, uh, the Japanese offshoot, you just mentioned it. Um, Buddhism. Yeah, Buddhism. Shinto Buddhism, yeah. I'm not even sure which one it is, but it was – I remember hearing in a sermon once that, that uh, the whole concept of, of the force – uh, that George Lucas got this by combining the elements of Methodism and Buddhism. Mm -hmm. And I, th oh, yeah. I, I want to say there was elements of Catholicism brought in there as well from the moral aspect, why why the, the correct way to go was to go to the light, to the good, and why good was supposed to triumph. Otherwise, what difference does it make if it's truly, if it's truly Hindu, uh, Buddhist, what difference does it make which way you go? It's just, it's just doing whatever you want. But it, it's... Yeah, you know, I, I, anyone, anyone who's a long-term listener to the to the podcast knows I'm a big Star Wars fan, and yes, that's something that bothers me is that there are some things in there that they say that make no sense whatsoever. Hey, it's a story, and I don't confuse that with real life. I don't think I'm a Jedi. I, I strive to be a Catholic, a, a a true soldier of Christ. That's the that's the true sword bearers. But anyway, uh, you were saying about um, no truth, and I derailed you into a sci-fi sidetrack. Well, it, and you brought up The Matrix, and we probably should do an episode on that because that that movie has ruined people's lives. 
good people's lives. There are people that have fallen for for the quasi religion and just gone hook, line, and sinker for that. And now you you see quite a lot people on the internet and um, especially people in Silicon Valley and people heavily involved in tech and completely godless pushing, pushing, pushing the idea that everything is a simulation, the universe is a simulation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Just anything Satan can do to get people into a mindset that it doesn't matter. There is no love there is no there is no objective truth there is no objective reality and getting people to to believe that it doesn't matter and one of the things one of the more sophisticated i guess you could put that in in scare quotes um tax that he's using right now in this modern world is this whole all this nonsense of these people going on about how the universe is just a is is a simulation or the multiverse thing that this is this is one of you know, countless universes. And maybe it's a simulation, maybe it isn't, but this is just one universe in a, in a countless number of universes and just nothing, just trying to get people to convince themselves that nothing matters because then they turn their backs on God and they commit mortal sin. So, um, oh, and there's one more thing. Um, the name of Jesus, you talked about that. Like if somebody's attacking you, um, I just want to make sure the listenership understands that if, if someone's attacking you and you piously invoke the name of our Lord, you're not you're not um, taking his name in vain. You you are engaging in a in a very profound and deep prayer at that point. You're not taking his name in vain if you know some BLM. Uh, uh, thug comes at you with a machete or whatever. And, and by the way, this is happening all over, all over the United States because, you know, we're in a state of civil war. Um, the news media isn't reporting on, on most of the stuff that's happening. Um, people are being, people are being just randomly attacked, stabbed. Uh, uh, somebody walked up to a, a child and, and executed, executed the child just right in front of his, I can't remember which one of his parents it was. This stuff is happening. If you're in a tactical situation and you cry out in, in, in an ejaculative prayer, invoking the name of our Lord or Jesus, Mary, Joseph, or anything like that, or call, or, you know, St. Michael, but especially the name of our Lord, goodness, you're not taking his name in vain. If, if it is, if it is a prayer, just because it's loud and just because it's in the context of a violent situation, don't think that that means it can't be a prayer. Of course it can be. And it, it frankly, it should be. So just and, want to make you know, that clear. The, the Muslims put us to shame in this regard. I mean, everything that happens, whether it's good or bad, I'm sure you all saw the, the videos of uh, Beirut going boom, mm -hmm. boom. To the to the amount that you hear anything other than a gigantic explosion in the background, you hear people saying Allah Akbar, which if you translate it as God, God is great or God, may may the may the will of God be done is roughly what it translates to. No, it's 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 Allah is the greatest, and then the th the thing that is um, may Allah's will be done is Inshallah. Inshallah means may Allah's will be done, 
and Allah yes. Allahu Akbar means Allah is the greatest. But my understanding is that when you use that as uh, just an automatic reaction, when when mm-hmm. most people would respond with a different two word phrase here in the United States, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's considered to be a phrase of acceptance of of God's will, which they've got they've got a lot of theology wrong but that should be an instruction to us that whatever happens good or bad we should be ready to sing the te deum to be your, to to be able to say may god's will be done and and embrace it like like many saints throughout history no matter what happened uh they were always you know happy and and sometimes some of them were questioned about this cuz they're their spiritual directors thought maybe they were clinically insane and saying, why are you so happy all the time, whether it's raining or people are nice yeah. to you or, or mean to you? I was like, because I take it as the will of God. And if, and, 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 I, and if it's raining, then I'm happy because it's God's will that it's supposed to be raining today. And if somebody's throwing um, their waste at me, then I'm happy because God sees fit that I need to be humiliated today. Okay. That's, that's, that's the act of a saint. And yeah. there and it's, I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that all the time. There are certainly situations where it's not appropriate. Um, I think a, a a truly Catholic bishop of the church would not probably have that same reaction if somebody's being, you know, trying to throw stuff at him. That's a there there is there is a certain dignity of the office that has to be upheld in those those circumstances. Mm-hmm. Maybe that wasn't the best example, but the, the point is that yes, you always want to embrace God's will. But, you know, certain decorum has to be taken into account at the same time. And, and if these are mendicant saints and they're open to anything happening because that's their 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 accepted state in life, that's what they want to do. Awesome. And that's the right way to do it. Not the Muslim. Eh, we get no control over it. Let's just say a couple of words. that don't mean anything. Absolutely. Two points. Um, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, I years ago, I had the misfortune of falling in with some with a group of people that I actually met in Rome many of whom are just walking personality disorders. And one of the things um, that one of them in particular would say just outright, I hate people who are happy all of the time. And this person did absolutely nothing but complain. I mean, if the sun was out, then this person was going to get a sunburn. If it was a cloudy day, if it was raining, then they were miserable because it was raining. Everything was always, always framed in the context of complaint, constant, incessant, nonstop complaining with a hatred, an an explicitly expressed hatred. Uh, The person would say, I hate people who are happy all the time. Okay, red flag up, up up the flagpole, big time, huge. Absolutely. If it's, if something, happens as a morally sane Christian person, you should, you should be able to look back and say, okay, what's the good in this? What's, what's, what's the possible benefit in this? Um, how is this going to work out for the better, et cetera, et cetera. And, and be happy and be content. And frankly, it's, it's more about just loving the divine providence. Now let's talk about that with regards to Islam um, Islam says that God is pure will, no reason, no rationality. So, um, and of course, they 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 think or or try to, or try to lyingly hold out that Allah is God, and of course, Allah isn't God. Allah, Allah is Satan or a combination of a non-existent pagan moon de- deity. But that 
that concept has been is is satanic. It's Satan. Islamic theology says that Allah is pure will, no rationality, no logic, none of that. So what that means is that Allah is completely capricious and can change 180 degrees on a dime. Okay, how do you reconcile that? Oh, and by the way, uh, love factors nowhere into this at all. If you just stop and think about it, how could um, an all-powerful deity be even capable of love if they are completely irrational and they can change on a dime 180 degrees? So, for example, an example of this is if you go to the Middle East, um, parents will will refuse to put their their infants, their tiny children, in car seats in their car. Because if it's all as will that the child be killed in a car accident, you can't you can't thwart the will of Allah. I mean, it's it's stuff like that, completely, totally irrational. So there's no way that a human being could ever have any idea um, about anything. There's no consistency, and this completely, totally capricious. Um, deity can just basically, for lack of a better phrase, can just screw with you as much as he as much as he wants, and you have to say, "Oh, it, it's his, it's Allah's perfect, perfect will, devoid of rationality." I think we talked on the last podcast about how charity has to proceed from truth, and truth has to be the the base premise out of which proceeds love, you don't start with love and then have truth proceed out of that. That's backwards. You have to start from truth. That is to say, rationality, reason, logic, truth. And then out of that comes love. If you get the processions of those backwards, or you completely eliminate the rationality uh, 100, 100% as Islam does, that's why you end up with the the absolutely catastrophic, satanic lives and culture that you see come out of Islamic culture. It's, it's a train wreck in absolutely every sense. And it's what our culture is just steaming ahead at 100 miles an hour towards towards the, it's the same brick wall we're just coming at it in our culture because we've apostatized from the one true faith but it all ends up at exactly the same place and that's why so much of what's going on looks more and more and more like islamic culture and islamic um lack of morality it's it's all converging it's all ending up at the same place so well, you could also make the point that where we ought to be is in the center where the truth is. And it doesn't matter which way you go you know, around the, the 360 degrees of a circle. If you're moving away from the center where the truth is, it doesn't matter whether you're, you're moving toward the locus of, of Islam or Hinduism or Taoism or whatever else is around the, the border of the, the um, absence of truth. What you're really moving toward is the absence of truth. And or Presbyterianism or Methodist or any yeah super fun rock band church let's let's not forget them too because that's moving away from the church big time. Well, yeah, but the the as you get further away from the truth, you hold fewer. 
when, when you get to the point that you're as far away from the center as you can get, it doesn't matter where you are on the outer perimeter, you have lost access to all the truth. And even though mm-hmm. you may say and believe things tacitly that are different than people around the, the outer arc, what you really have in common is that you reject the truth, right. which is why Buddhists and Muslims don't really try to kill each other, I don't think. And maybe I'm wrong uh, on that. They do in India. They do oh, those in are India. Hindus. I don't know how much of a difference. Oh, Hind- that's... <laughs> I'm okay, so I I'm sure I'm sure Muslims can find a reason Muslims to Muslims try to kill everybody. Muslims and Sikhs, that that war's been raging forever. That's on like the the Pakistani Indian border, which yeah, but Sikhs are like hockey fighter hockey players. They'll fight anybody. Oh my god, yeah. If if I had to pick a pagan to be caught in a in a foxhole with, no question, it's a Sikh. Sikhs there the a few years ago there was a Sikh man who single-handedly oh, this, defended- That was a Gurkha. That was a Gurkha you're thinking of. And I don't, I don't know if there's in, an overlap. In the train car? Is that, are you, is that what you're thinking of? Oh, no. If tra- you, okay. Go, go ahead, because I'm thinking of a different situation. No, that, I think yours is a war story. This yes, is not too is. terribly long ago. In India, they're in a train car. It's one Sikh, one um, girl, young woman, young woman, and the entire rest of the car is filled with musloids and that the musloids decide that they're going to rape this girl the one Sikh by himself held off an entire train car full of musloids they are i don't know what what the deal is with them but they are some of the most incredible warriors in the world and the Sikh, the Sikh uh, false religion it's weird because it's it's very recent it's not ancient, ancient, ancient. It's within the last, I don't know, I think it's less than, I think it's easily less than 400 years old, and I think it might be less than 300 years old. I may be totally um, wrong, but I thought that Jainism was somehow attached to it. Not that I know Yeah, what I think is. Jainism is, con- is connected to it, but it's Sikhism is, a, is actually a synthesis. It's, you know, some guy said, I'm going to solve all this and I'm going to take elements of Christianity, Judaism, Hinduism, um, uh, pagan animism, whatever, and combine it into this thing. And it's a relatively new thing, but I, I don't know why, but for whatever reason, those dudes can fight. And I don't know, we need to, we need to convert them all and then have them teach us their, their Sikh fighting technique. Well, them because, and the Gurkhas, and, and the example I was, I was, I thought you were going to, and I thought that maybe you were conflating the two. It was a, the Gurkhas have long had a, a, an agreement, I guess, with the, with the British Empire, which, which if I was in the British Empire and could make this agreement, I'd do it every single day if it was up to me. But uh, they were, there was a, a force in, in, in uh, Afghanistan, and in the, the position was being overrun by an, a rather elite group of, of Taliban fighters. I don't think they were Taliban. I think they were actually Al-Qaeda, Arab fighters and well-trained ones. One dude with a machine gun, a few grenades, and when he ran out of ammunition, was using his machine gun as a battle club. As, held, yeah. Held off an entire, I don't know, I don't know if it's a, a platoon or, or a double platoon or company strength. One dude alone mm-hmm. um, held off an entire charge that should have overrun and gotten everybody killed. And of course, he gets the Victoria Cross, and he couldn't care less because he's he's probably more ticked off that he couldn't kill the entire company coming after him. Yeah, so, yeah. Those, those are some. The phrase I heard was, uh, "If I hear a man say that that he's not afraid to die, he's either insane or he's a Gurkha." Yeah. <laughs> yep. Okay, we were talking about the VP 
uh, nominee for the Democratic Party, and we got way. We off. haven't even got. We haven't even gotten to her middle name. You need to tell everybody. Oh, about Oh yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's all got to do with Asia. It goes back over there, and and. Um, <laughs> she's Indian. She's not black. She's Indian. Oh, okay. So I've mentioned before the um, the uh, MoFax and Adam Curry podcast. I've been listening to. Mm-hmm. It. I mentioned that that they they make the point of distinction that it's not Black Lives Matter. It's Black Lives Matter Inc. or BLM Inc. Right. And they the um, uh, the black guy on the podcast, Mo, he makes the the distinction of saying ADOS as the the group of which he's a point. That's A D O S, American Descendants of Slavery. In other words, who has a if you're going to have the discussion of, of whether or not there should be reparations paid to anybody because of slavery, we need to identify who is the group in question. And that should be American descendants of slavery. Okay. There's set, set not, aside that whole topic. There's a few from, Irish who fall into that category. You there know. are. Um, yeah. But, you know, white people don't like them either. So they're, <laughs> they're not going to get anything. Um, <laughs> you got me. Okay. <laughs> Um, actually, yeah, never mind. Um, so the, the point of ADOS is, is American descendants of slavery. Um, Harris, the VP selection, she is a descendant of Caribbean Jamaican. Well, I guess Jamaica is Caribbean. Uh, her, her dad is Jamaican or is it not? Yeah. Her dad is Jamaican, uh, a PhD economist from Stanford. So, okay. Not your typical, um, brow- but he's what he's what's called white Jamaican. I think okay. he's, I did he's not got know a that. tiny, he, he's not, he's not even half black. He's way less than half black. And his, his parents are, one of his parents are white. Uh, he's, yeah, I, I saw that and I was like, what, what does that mean? And he's called a white Jamaican. So he's not a black, dark black skinned Jamaican guy. My understanding is up the black side of the Jamaican line that uh, Harris's ascendants we're slave owners and not, yes. not the mm-hmm. white side of the mixed race, but the black side. Oh, isn't that they interesting? Owned, they owned, imported, and sold slaves. Mm-hmm. So she is not, not only not an American descendant of slavery, of slaves, but she's a non-American descendant of slave owners. Okay, that's mm-hmm. one side of the family. The other side is Indian. Yep. Well, and Hindu, as 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 obviously as pointed out is that was the, uh, that the was names. the obvious extension that was coming out. Yeah. So the, the first name is a, a, an alternative phrase or appellation for one of the Indian goddesses. And the, the middle name is one letter short of devil, mm-hmm. which is another, um, or Devi. I, I don't even know how to pronounce it te- technically, but it translates to goddess. Okay. Yep. Could you get any more obvious at this point? There are no goddesses in reality. No. And anybody who makes that, that connection says that they worship a goddess, Psalms 95.5, you're worshiping a demon. Exactly. So she's, she's named for a demon and demoness before we mm-hmm. even get to her last name. Yep. And that's before she even started with the plastic surgery. I mean, how much more proof do you need? Yeah. She's, she's bad news. And the, and the problem is that um, Joe Biden, the formerly Catholic um you know, candidate for the presidency, dude is flat out senile, and and whether or not he survives to January twenty first, let's just say for the sake of art, you know, for the sake of nightmare, that he gets elected, he is not going to serve out his term. Oh no! And they're saying that openly. They're the CNN was talking about that. When when Biden steps aside, I mean, this is this is taken for granted. This no, when is completely Biden is, taken. When Biden is forced aside, 
And Harris sure, is exactly sure. the person to do it. She she got um, nominated to some key positions to make her eligible to be considered to be the uh, the DA in San Francisco because of her associations with Lily Brown. And when well, I say she associations, sl- she, sl- I mean, yeah. she slept her way into absolutely everything she has, that, as so ex- many of these okay. women do. That, yeah. That's that's where I was going to try to be a little bit soft about it. But yes, she slept her way into various positions. But once she got there, she disavowed and blew off uh, Willie Brown, and and acted like she never knew the guy. So when he tried to call in a favor, he basically gave her the middle, or she gave him the middle finger, and that she has done that all the way up. So you know, if there was ever the ideal candidate to be a gracious VP nominee and then just completely stab Joe in the back, perhaps even literally, and get him out of the way so she can be president. Well, Harris I is mean, the that that wouldn't be her first flip-flop because dur- during the, the campaign, she said, I believe the accusers of Joe Biden. She she was going on about this, about how he was he was a serial sexual assaulter. And she said, I believe the accusers of Joe Biden. Can you imagine how morally decrepit these people are that they will go from one day accusing a man rightly of being a, a serial lifelong sexual molester? To then, on, on a dime, turning flip flopping and oh well, yeah, I'll be your I'll be your vice president and you know I'll, I'll sure sure I'll I'll kiss your butt on a presidential ticket in order to get into the White House. I mean, these people have abs. It, it, it's it's just difficult for morally sane people to comprehend how utterly devoid of any sort of integrity these people are. They will say anything. They will do anything. They will turn on a dime. One day they hate someone and the next day they're, um, they're in bed with them literally and figuratively. Um, and then back and then back again and then back again. And it let's just, not forget that she called Joe a racist and, yep. and um, for, for, well, literally called him a racist because of his associations and, and because of his actions. And let's not forget, he is the, you know, he claims he is the architect of the 1994 crime bill, which did more to put blacks and in, in Amer- black Americans in jail than any other, other any other single piece of legislation. And uh, Harris herself uh, is known to have hid evidence and, and played foul, played, played dirty and cheated to have a record, um, a record uh, conviction rate as the San Francisco DA and then as the uh, California California Attorney General. And she then, is on the record as saying that she that she has kept and and desired to keep um, people who were in prison for things like marijuana convictions that they had to be kept in prison because they provided labor to the state. And so she didn't want to do any sort of a program that would, you know, do the so-called prison reform and get people out of prison who were guilty of, you know, possession of marijuana and things like that. Um, She explicitly said that she she wanted to keep these people in prison because of the slave labor. Um, I'll have to put put a link to the video on the show notes of uh, Tulsi Gabbard absolutely ripping Harris on that point specifically. Yeah. And then the news that broke today on Breitbart is that she is the only DA of any major metropolitan American city that brought no, no prosecutions, nothing against 
anyone for any of the priest sexual abuse come to find out why not only that she put everything under seal why because one of the massive donors to her campaign running for district attorney were the various and sundry law firms that were representing the archdiocese of san francisco yeah it's 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 these people are psychopathic utterly devoid of any sort of morality or integrity zero i think we've beaten that horse to death and made stale hamburgers out of it mm-hmm. moving on yes let's take let's do a breathing exercise deep breath no no <sighs> oh. no no how about a question to Anne? How about that? Okay. Uh, somebody sends in a question. I'd like to submit a question, if I may. I'd like to have a few masses said. I don't know if any priests. I don't. Uh, I don't. I don't know any priests commemorating Benedict in the canon. Can we have masses said when we don't know if the priest is commemorating Francis or not? Well, I would. I would say I would lean towards yes. The mass that I go to uh, almost every day. And in fact, various masses that I go to, even when I'm on the road, um, as, as far as I know, they're commemorating Bergoglio. Um, it's the mass is valid. We're working on this problem. It is a question of good faith, doubt, controversy, confusion, or error about the identity of the Vicar of Christ. And this this actually ties into another argument that's going on right now, and it'll segue into another topic that we're getting to. Can't reiterate this enough. Schism has good faith, doubt, controversy, confusion about the identity of the Vicar of Christ is not schism. Schism is when you start saying things like, I don't believe in the papacy at all, Eastern Orthodox, Protestants, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it, it even gets into, and it's ironic because the people who are screeching, schism, schism, Barnhart's a schismatic, she's leading people into schism. These are the people who say, like in the next breath, that guys, I think maybe Vatican I was wrong, meaning that the infallible dogmatic definition of papal infall infallibility. Uh, people who accuse anyone who actually believes that the vicar of Christ has a supernatural negative protection and that the vicar of Christ actually has any meaningful authority and that the vicar of Christ does in fact require um, submission. They say that anybody who actually believes that is a papolitor, which is a combination of the words papacy and idolatry, which means they're accusing you of being in violation of the first commandment. If you actually believe what all of the saints and all of the church for 2000 years has believed, you are in violation of the first commandment. And it, it is only these people it is only these people who rarely go to mass, who proclaim their hatred of the rosary, who live their lives camped on social media all day, every day. Um, and I, I'd, I'd love to get um, a Father Ripperger or somebody to just review these, just review these people's publicly visible social media activities and see how many, how many instances of mortal sin per day these people, these people commit. Um, slander, calumny. It's just, it's just a daily occurrence. These people 
they're the ones who have it all figured out. They're the ones who have figured out that the papacy has been a joke all along and that anyone who actually believes any of this stuff about the papacy is guilty of the sin of idolatry, the sin against the first commandment. Right. You betcha. So once again, the, these masses, almost all masses, almost everybody, there's very few priests who are commemorating Pope Benedict at this point. Yeah, that's, that's correct. Why? Because there's a massive error and confusion as, as is not entirely unexpected, given the fact that the mother of God herself has been warning us for over a century now that there would be a mass apostasy from the top from the top and that Rome would become the seat of the Antichrist. Okay, if the mother of God gives you that information, how can you not then say that it, how can you say, let me phrase it uh, in, a, in a simpler way, how can you say that it is impossible for there to be any mass confusion about the identity of the Vicar of Christ? The mother of God has been warning of this for over a century, and now you have these um, these social media addicts who hate who declare their hatred of the Rosary, saying um, it's it's not even possible for there to be any sort of confusion about the identity of the Vicar of Christ. That's irrational. That doesn't make any sense at all. Of course, of course, it's possible. Good grief! It's happening all day, every day. Any, any Catholic who isn't just completely lost and far gone into the earthly um, Freemasonic anti-church milieu looks at the situation and at absolute bare minimum says, something is off here. There, there is something about this that is, that is not, not right. Everybody can look at that and say that. Okay? Whether or not people have, have, have done the research and come, and come to the conclusion and, and looked at the data set and engaged the data set and thought about it and prayed about it and said, you know, that there, there's just no possible way this Bergoglio guy can be the vicar of Christ. What, what else is going on here? Did anything strange happen when Bergoglio seemed to ascend to the sea? Um, is there anyone else in the world today who calls himself the Pope and who dresses like the Pope and gives apostolic blessings like the Pope? Did lightning and, strike the earth or maybe the dome of St. Peter's? And that's the least of it. That's the absolute least of it. I mean, the, the, the other data sets are, are far more compelling. And wait a minute, let's, what did Pope Benedict say when he, when he tried to turn in that, that resignation? What exactly did he say? Well, Cue Dr. Matza, come on in, Dr. Matza, sit down, pull up a chair, or y'all can just scroll back into the last, I don't know, I don't know when the first Matza podcast was, but it's it's less than 10 podcasts ago. I want to say um, 107, maybe. I'd, I'd yeah, 106, back in my notes. 7, something like that. It's not too far back. So just pull up the podcast page and scroll back and you'll see it. Um, and, you know, just sit, hear it out, watch my videos. Um, you know, there's all kinds of things you can do, but if you, 
if you're just locked into some absolutely intransigent um, ideology that revolves around personal grudges and the desire to maintain career paths, social connections. I mean, guys, it's, it's that bad. It's that superficial. That's what this is. Um, then you, you quickly come to the conclusion at the very, very minimum that something is wrong. So what, the original question is, this: is it, is it wrong to have masses said where um, Bergoglio is commemorated at the Te Igitor? I, I, my gut feeling is no. I mean, I, I don't think that's the case. It's still the holy and august sacrifice of Calvary. And our Lord is there present. And um, it, is, is the situation suboptimal? Well, good grief. That's, that's the understatement of the last 2,000 years. Well, that's yeah, also the, the statement of time since the, since the garden. Mm-hmm, exactly, exactly. Um, but it's still the holy and august sacrifice of Calvary. That doesn't mean that we just throw our hands up and say we don't care. Just exactly the same way that we don't throw our hands up and say, oh, well, the Novus Ordo is valid, so it's good enough. Well, no, of course not. We're all praying every day that the Novus Ordo come, come to a swift end. Um, however, it the Novus Ordo Mass is valid. Um, and masses in which uh, Bergoglio, trad masses in which Bergoglio or um, Byzantine divine liturgies in which Bergoglio is commemorated as the Vicar of Christ, um, erroneously, they're, they're valid too. Again, God is God. He's not stupid. He's not an idiot. He understands the context of everything. He understands the context of where you are and what your situation is and what your motivations are. Do you honestly think that if you, you know, you are driven by this, 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 this profound sense of charity that you need, you really want to have the Holy sacrifice offered for somebody and the only priest that that you can find that you have connections with to get this done is a priest that commemorates Bergoglio. Do you think our Lord is going to say, no, I hate you. I hate the person you're praying for. I'm not listening to this. It's all completely invalid. You're going to hell, blah, blah, blah. I mean, he's infinite love. He loves you infinitely. He loves the person you're having the mass offered for infinitely, infinitely. He is infinite love. Please, people, in, in these dark days especially, meditate on our Lord's passion and also connected with that, meditate on our Lord in his capacity, in his existential being as infinite love and that he loves you infinitely and he loves every human being infinitely. And, and what that means what would that mean if he were to walk in the door? What would that mean if he were to walk into your house and sit down on your sofa? He loves you infinitely. Think about that. Think about the person that has loved you the most in your entire life, whether it's your mother, your father, um, your spouse. What is the most profound experience of genuine love you have ever experienced in your life? And then realize that Jesus Christ loves you infinitely like that. Like that, except, except to a degree that can never, ever, ever be quantified that he would die for you 
as many times as you assist at the holy sacrifice of the mass. Okay, if he would die for you as many times as you assist at the holy sacrifice, how how does it then jibe that he's not going to listen to the prayer intention that you have said at a mass at which Bergoglio is commemorated? Um, he, he loves you enough that he would go through his entire death and passion for every time you assist at a mass in which Bergoglio is commemorated. Why would he not hear the prayers of your intention? He's infinite love. Don't turn him into some, I don't know, some corporate HR manager psycho who, who just is completely detached from all this, doesn't care, doesn't have any any understanding or concept of the nuance of the personal situations and the personal dynamics of every single person. Yeah. Are there people out there who are probably completely ignorant of the situation with Bergoglio and are just, you know, little old ladies going to the church every day, praying their rosary and are so disengaged from you know, current events that they literally have no idea what's going on. Yeah, I, th- I think there probably are people like that. It's not, I don't think it's many. I think most people are morally culpable um, because information is so readily available. But yeah, I do think there are probably, especially m- more elderly people who literally just have no idea. And and they're they're just carried along with this wave of, you know, the the Vatican in Rome calls that guy the Pope. And so therefore, I'm not even going to engage the question. The truth is, sometimes I wish I was, I wish I could be in that, in that camp. And it's, it's been that way throughout my whole life, not just with regards to the identity of the Roman, of the, of the Vicar of Christ, but in other things, there's just things that you, you become aware of. And then you just say, man, it would just be so much easier if I hadn't known about all this. Look at all these people driving to work every day, you know, going to their jobs, going to the mall, going to restaurants, doing this, that, and the other. And they have no idea about this, this, and this thing that I'm aware of. An example of this would be when I started researching Islam and like these people have no idea that this is just a giant child molestation cult, you know, uh, wouldn't, wouldn't it be nice to go back to those heady days of my youth in which you just, you just simply didn't know about the things that are going on in the world. But, you know, again, we're not going to complain and we're not going to um, second guess the divine providence. We just had the reading not too long ago about the gifts of the Holy Ghost. And, you know, this and such person has this gift and this and such person has that gift. And they're all different and everybody's different. And you you got to do what you're called to do. And for some people, they are called to not be so engaged with um, with the world and with current events in that sense. And some of us are called to just be in the absolute trenches of it, apparently. But, and, and, and those gifts are for the benefit of the church and the other yeah. members of the church militant. They are not for your own benefit. And I'm sure in a lot of cases, those those gifts are a burden. And, and it's a burden to be carried. It's a burden that will be to your sanctification to carry it out. I mean, Honestly, every priest who's called to the priesthood, that is a very unique gift dispensed by the the Holy Ghost Yeah, that is absolutely essential for the church. And if it's a traditional priest, they're catching it from all sides. I mean, that yep. that's that's I, I don't know if I've used the term white martyrdom before, but it, it's the idea that you're you're catching hell from all sides. You're just not getting blood drawn. I think the priests are somewhere like a pink martyrdom almost. I hate to use that color, but it's, it's yeah, not quite yeah, a red yeah. martyrdom yet. 
yeah. they're they're going to be the first. But um, shoot, I mean, there are cases that are cropping up. I've gotten emails about that. Um, some of the trad parishes now, um, I probably not SSPX because of the dynamic in question here, but um, the, we're in, in some of the dioceses. The the rules around COVID and exposure are so extreme that that uh, if somebody who tests positive for COVID then says, "Oh yeah, I was um, I was in close contact with Father Smith and Father Jones, the uh, the two you know uh, priests who run the Latin Mass parish." Well, guess what? No mass, no sacraments for two weeks. Well, of course, any that, that excuse, has happened. any excuse to to take the sacraments away from people—that's Satan's ultimate game in all of this. And so, yeah, it's all completely irrational. And um, I've said this before, but I'd encourage people—I'll repeat it—and encourage people to keep doing it. When you read the news and you read these headlines and you read these stories, replace. COVID-19 or whatever they call it with a common seasonal cold. Reread the story and and substitute that and you'll you'll see what's going on and you'll see how irrational this is. Or replace it with just a reason to enact what we wanted to do all along but we didn't have a plausible reason to do it. A Trojan horse, yes, exactly. Yep. I kind of hijacked your your theme there about um the importance of acting on true premises. Well, I mean, at the Barnhart podcast, it's it's the circle of life. Everything comes back around. So I think what this obviously now segues in is that we did want to discuss the um, Father Jeremy Leatherby situation because I've not said a word about it. Um, did you did you read up on this? Or are you kind of vaguely aware of what this is now? Yeah, when you sent me the name, I'm like, who? And then yeah. when you sent me this, the descriptions, like, oh, yeah, I, I saw the headlines about this. I just don't remember seeing his name. Yeah, so uh, this priest, um, this has all happened so fast. I think it's all, this is less than a week old. Um, he releases some grandiose statement saying, I do not, I commemorate Benedict Sixteenth and all of my masses, and I cannot believe that that Bergoglio is the vicar of Christ, which, you know, yes, true, good. Then I'm looking at this and, you know, I'm kind of, I'm messaging with Mark Doherty and, and Dr. Matson. We're just kind of watching this. And Dr. Matson sent a very interesting piece about, um, I think this priest, Father Jeremy Leatherby was involved in a terrible car accident in like 20 years ago. And we all kind of read this, and there's some there's some red flags that go go up. In fact, there are, there are numerous red flags that go up. First of all, he's a Novus Ordo priest, and I'm sorry, but every Novus every priest who says the Novus Ordo is compromised. You're compromised. Okay, let's just start with that as a base premise. That doesn't mean to say that every priest who says the Novus Ordo is completely and totally blind. That's not the case. I believe Father Z still says the Novus Ordo, but I wish he wouldn't. I wish he'd stop. I wish all of them would just stop and just say, no, I'm not doing this anymore. Um, that right there. Okay. So you're a Novus Ordo priest. You're compromised. And compromise doesn't mean evil to the core. It means you have no, accepted something no. that is a lesser than and something that can be used as leverage against you. <laughs> Exactly. Thank you. Well, well said. And, and well, that's because I come from SSPX circles and we use the term about the fraternity for so long that they are compromised and that always comes across as being so pejorative and so evil to people who've never heard that before or who who uh, found tradition through the fraternity of St. Peter. It's like, 
I don't think you're understanding what we're meaning by that. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that um, this whole corona scam situation has kind of brought that point into a little bit clearer relief that the Ecclesia Day communities, the Fraternity of St. Peter, the Institute of Christ the King, et cetera, et cetera, they are by, fo- by far more oppressed under these ridiculous, completely illegal and unjust um, um pseudo laws and restrictions than obviously the SSPX has been. And this is why the SSPX has been basically a lifeboat in all of this and has been doing, I think everything I hear is that they have been doing great work to help as many people as they possibly can. And yeah, they're going to, they're going to pick up permanently a lot of people. If, if this situation resolves at all, um, which <laughs> I'm, I'm not entirely optimistic, but if this situation does resolve at all, the SSPX will indeed pick up people because they've done well. It does depend upon you know which location you're talking about because the the SSPX location closest to me, they they were more shut down than some of the other, um, or mm. one, I should say one of the other options in the metro area. Uh, I'm in an area where there's two dioceses and I'm in an area where there's two states. I mean, I think I've given more than enough clues for anyone who's listening to get to kind of get within, you know, nuclear bomb range or Beirut bomb range where I am. At, at the SSPX location, they, if I remember correctly from talking to some people there, they, they had somebody from local law enforcement say that if you do not enforce, um, you know, masking and, and this was at the height of it, uh, we, we will start arresting people and taking them out. And so it wasn't a matter of them bending a knee to to the bishop. It was a matter of bending, or not not even really bending the knee. It's okay. What is the most prudent way of going about continuing to deliver the sacraments? We have agents of Caesar here saying we are going to arrest you if you don't follow our guidelines. So they, you know, you've talked about binating, trinating, and saying the mass multiple times. I think they were at a point where they were doing mass every forty five minutes, yeah, maximum attendance of fifty. I mean, they had all the priests they had available. Um, the clear, clear, clear this with the authority is saying, okay, here's what we're going to, we're going to do. Here's how we're going to schedule everything. And they were going out of their way oh, yeah. uh, to, to get things done, but they were still in a severely, um, handcuffed arrangement there. Sure. But they've, they've and, demonstrated. And that's, and that's new. I mean, the, 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 the SSPX has never been handcuffed by the, the, the jury, the, or the ordinary hierarchy, but the local agents who say we will throw you in cuffs and we don't care about, you know, because we're going to sidestep the whole first amendment question because this is public health. That's new. That's yeah. diabolically clever. And it's new. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. But, but they've but back, been back to the compromise of no sort of, they've been all hands on deck. So that's, that was one red flag and you know, that comes up about father Leatherby. All right. But there's more. Then you start reading, and he's a Medjugugu person. Okay, stop, 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 stop. If you can't see that that Medjugugu is a complete and total scam from day one, in which allegedly the Blessed Virgin Mary, the Mother of God, told one of the original seers in eighty, whenever it started, eighty-two or eighty-one or whatever that god god values all religions the same okay this is a transparent obvious obvious scam okay you, you mentioned Medjugorje. you know it's that time of the podcast you know we can't take <laughs> him seriously anymore 
<laughs> well done. Well done. Exactly. So you say, well, look at all of these conversions that have come out of this. I was received into the church from the, through the Novus Ordo. Does that mean the Novus Ordo is, is fantastic, wonderful? No, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. God can work however he wants to work. Medjugorje is a fraud and it's an obvious fraud. So you see that uh, Father Jeremy Leatherby is a huge Medjugorje person. All right, here's another flag. Okay, now let's get to what what the the meat of this issue is. Father Jeremy Leatherby has been um, removed, I think, from from public ministry for something like four years since 2016, because apparently Father Leatherby has a little problem with having girlfriends who are his spiritual directees. And you say, well, now that's just hearsay. Well, it isn't because there are videos. There Wait, where are, have we heard this story before? Yeah, I want to say right? that in the last two or three podcasts that we've done together, which is like two over the last eight, that we've 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 had this topic come up a few times. It's it's almost as if these things kind of repeat themselves. Well, um, I, who was it? I think it was Mark Doherty who we were chatting about this uh, yesterday, I think. And he said, you know, this, this all savors of Karapi. And uh, yeah, it, it absolutely does. So this, this Leatherby family is a very wealthy family in Sacramento. And they've been, you know, very involved in the church and so forth. Father Jeremy Leatherby's father is a permanent deacon. Um, and one of the things that they're saying is that, uh, I think, Deacon Leatherby or or the housekeeper in the parish where Deacon Leatherby was walked in on two sodomite priests in bed together. And Deacon Leatherby immediately went to the bishop and denounced all this. And I mean, it was they were caught red-handed in flagrante. And um that of course, you know, the 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 sodomite coven then came down hard on them. And they're like, oh, we're, we're being victimized by um, the sodomites because we turned in these two priests who were caught in flagrante. Yeah, you just, you got to be patient and you got to wait and see what what exactly is the situation here, which, which is why none of us, Mark, myself, we none of us said anything about this Leatherby situation. You'd think, hey, this priest comes out and says, I'm, I commemorate Pope Benedict XVI exclusively, and I do not believe. Oh, the other thing Leatherby did was he, he, um, he didn't just say, I don't believe that Bergoglio is the vicar of Christ. He also, he also said that he detached himself and does not commemorate the local bishop. Okay, wait a minute. There's another red flag. What's th- what's that about? Whether or not Bergoglio is the vicar of Christ doesn't have any really doesn't have anything to do with your local ordinary because as we've as we've um, discussed before, even if the local ordinary is is an was appointed during the anti papacy of Bergoglio, Ecclesia Suplet comes into comes into play here. Um, so in times of, of grave emergency, as it is now, times of exception, as, as the legal term is, the church herself supplies jurisdiction just so that everything keeps running and, you know, keep the lights on. So you don't have, you know, every bishop in the world becomes invalid or anything like that. That's incorrect. 
That no, is not say, how the church almost, works. This almost sounds like a new springtime. Well, it'd be, it'd be a, a, high, a horrible springtime. I don't know if you remember the book Silent Springtime, but it, 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 this sounds like a horrible springtime of the um, Novus Ordo Sedevacantist possibility. I mean, who else doesn't celebrate a local ordinary in their masses? The only thing that comes to mind is Sedevacantist. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But they do not say the new mass. Wait, who? Oh, Sedvacantists don't. Yeah, Sedvacantists well? do not say the new mass. They are. Is that is that a true statement? Let Let's think about that. Are there they're, any? They're all pre fifty five. Like if if it's <laughs> they they reject the fifty five changes because that was Bonini's first changes, even though it was under uh, Pius the twelfth. Right. Okay. If any of the listeners out there. If we're wrong on that, because boy, there's everything under the sun. If there are, <laughs> this is so weird. If there are any set of accountants, oh, we have set of accountants We have de- we definitely have set of accountants listeners and, and oh, I know and folks yeah. who who email and tweet at me. I get those, <laughs> but I I think even they would be surprised if there's such an animal as a set of accountants who says a Novus Ordo Mass. That's I think you're right. I think you're right. Okay, so there there you go. But I, this is what I've been saying now for years because this is set of accountism is the inevitable logical conclusion that one comes to. Set of accountism and schism are the two inevitable logical conclusions one comes to if you hold this premise that Bergoglio is the Pope, because he, he's so scandalous that you either believe that the see is vacant or you deny the papacy itself. And that's what we see Trad, Trad Inc. doing. Trad Inc. doesn't deny, uh, Trad Inc. is saying that Bergoglio is absolutely positively 1000% the Pope. Therefore, the papacy is completely irrelevant and always has been, which is, which is so close to schism. I mean, they're just, they're holding on by, by uh, the tiniest, tiniest little shred. I mean, if you, you start saying Vatican one was wrong, I mean, come on at that point, what else was wrong? Trent, Nicaea, it, it goes all the way back at that point, you know? So, um, but there's there's more to the story. So Father Leatherby comes out and says this. Then people start digging, and it doesn't take much digging at all because a lot of this was already mostly public. He's been out of public ministry for four years. And, you know, he's got this coven of women around him. Okay, here's another tangent. Fathers, there's a bunch of priests listening. You You have got to be careful with women. And I'm saying this to you as a woman. You should not be hanging around alone with women. You should not be you should not be socializing alone with women. Spiritual direction is is extraordinarily tricky in this day and age. And I'm not, I don't want to make you into a narcissist and make you think that there is some sort of a that there's some sort of a scheming Liz Lev chalice snatcher behind every tree, but you've got to be careful. And there are a hell of a lot of women today who are completely screwed up, who are, who are borderline narcissistic, who, um, have pro- who themselves have problems with the sixth commandment. Look how much immodesty there is. Look how ubiquitous pornography is. And you think that it's completely safe for you to have to have um, breeding to be alone with breeding aged women? I mean, you've got to be smart about this. Apparently, this guy had like a, a 
just a damn near occult situation going with women and sp- and spiritual direction. Yeah, we've heard all that. That's exactly what Thomas Williams called all of his stuff was spiritual direction. He was he was Liz Lev's spiritual director. And he was giving spiritual direction to all kinds of people. Um, you, we, we have to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. And you can't be imprudent like this. Turns out this guy was actually, he had uh, inappropriate relationships with more than one woman. And they, he, he looks like he might also have a problem with alcohol. So he records a, basically a video love letter to one of these women, not too terribly long ago. He's been under, um, he's been under restriction, not being able to celebrate the mass publicly for like four years. And just not too long ago, he sends one of these women a video love letter, except he's probably, I think he, I think it's very safe to say that he was drunk and he sent the, the message, the video message, not to her, but to someone completely different who saw it and was like, "Uh Oh, I'm going to go ahead and keep this and we're going to have to have a talk. And, and so that's how this video love letter became public because he was drunk and fat fingered it to the wrong person. And okay, so now what this gets to is that clearly, clearly Father Leatherby has some has some narcissism issues. And why do I say that? Why, if you have been under restriction for four years, you have a problem with the sixth commandment with women, you have multiple women, you've um you fat fingered a, a love note video. All of this is out there and and is readily available with like literally five minutes of Google searching. Anyone can come across this. Why do you have to go make some big public statement? How, how is this prudent? How is this helping? How is this not just about you um, drawing attention to yourself in a very narcissistic fashion? Does this change whether or not Pope Benedict is the vicar of Christ and and Bergoglio is an anti-pope? Of course not. It, it, it has no bearing on the objective truth of the situation. What I'm saying is, is this guy, if he were for real and if he were solid and sound, given the situation that he were in, how about you just keep your pie hole shut and not give the enemy all kinds of ammunition. This actually, um, this whole concept ties to another topic that we may or may not have time to get to, and that that's Voris. It's it's largely the same thing with Voris. Um, so the whole Vor- Voris comes out of the closet and reveals that he lived his basically his entire adult life as a highly active sodomite, gay bars, shacking up, the whole nine. Um, within, within a matter of weeks, weeks, he went from being shacked up with a boyfriend and active on the gay bar scene to founding, um, real Catholic TV. All of you who are (laughs) old school from back in the day, remember he started out as real Catholic TV within a matter of weeks uh, with this project of making himself 
the public face and voice of traditional Orthodox Catholicism. Six weeks or so. How is that prudent? How is that prudent? How are you thinking that's a good idea? There have got to be pictures of you all over the place. People have got to have all kinds of photographs of you. You've got to be blackmailable out the gazoo. How can you possibly think that it's a good idea, no matter how genuine your conversion might or reversion in his case might be, how can you possibly think that it's a good idea for you to put yourself out with that blackmailable, horrific history and, and as close as closely removed as you are, within a matter of weeks you were living in that lifestyle, then, oh, no, I have to be the face of traditional Catholicism. This is highly indicative of a, of a massive level of narcissism. And how, how, how could he not be a narcissist? He, he was a lifelong sodomite. As we know from our work on diabolical narcissism, the root of basically all sexual perversions is diabolical narcissism. Diabolical narcissism is the, is the overarching condition. It's the antecedent out of which proceeds all species of sexual perversion. Of course, it's, it's completely reasonable to say that Voris had, had and probably still has struggles with narcissism issues. Okay, should we go ahead and segue in, into Voris a little bit? Um, yeah, I was getting ready to make up to set up that segue, but uh, you jumped the gun and went ahead for it. Well, you know, you got you got to you got to stay frosty, and you just opened you just opened a brewski, so you were distracted. <laughs> no, I was just sitting back and list, listening to the uh, Father Jeremy Leatherby and kind of rolling my eyes and saying, "So much of this is new, and so much of it is same old story." Yeah, at the same it's time. the same old stuff. It, it's, yep, it's exactly. a weird hybrid, but you know, it's Sacramento. Yep. Yeah. Well said. <laughs> so, um, Voris is. And I, I've not said a whole hell, heck of a lot about Voris. I've said a little bit, but now he's he's clearly he's into some sort of an in, end stage self implosion thing. The things that he is saying online that you know um, SSPX are all Nazis. That it's a neo Nazi organization. That it's a neo Nazi pedophilic organization. The things that he said about about Archbishop Lefebvre are just are unbelievable, just jaw-dropping. Archbishop Lefebvre's father was murdered by the Nazis. He, Archbishop Lefebvre's father was in the French resistance during World War II. His father was murdered in a camp by the Nazis. Voris yesterday, day before yesterday, um, declared um, Archbishop Lefebvre to be an, uh, a Nazi. It's just, it's unbelievable. And you know what's interesting? Um, I looked at one of these tweets that he made because it's publicly visible. You don't have to have a Twitter account. You can look at it on the internet by going to twitter.com and, you know, pulling it up. And there's a, there's a term, it's called the ratio. And what that means is if somebody puts something on the internet and then there's a way for people to comment or reply to it, the ratio is the ratio of people who agree and disagree. In, the, in whatever comment or response thread is underneath a person's given stated position. Um, when I looked at the Voris tweet, I think it was the one that called Archbishop Lefebvre a Nazi. The ratio, and there were a lot, there were a lot of responses and a lot of comments. The ratio was 100% against Voris. 
So the guy is, he's self-imploding. And if, again, if you, you know, do the research on diabolical narcissism, this is very, very common. Self-sabotage, self-implosion. Let me phrase it this way. Given the aggressiveness and the just brash irrationality and just evil that that Voris is destroying himself, let us all hope and pray that this self-sabotage and self-destruction is not coming from the fact that Michael Voris is has had any sort of a relapse or has had any sort of chastity issues. Let us pray that that is not the case. And I'll leave, I'll leave it there. Um, but we've got, we've had other signals that there's something terribly wrong with Voris that points back towards that narcissism. And um, one of those is whenever you see people who are drastically changing their appearance, um, obviously the mutilation of the face, self-mutilation is, is huge, especially of the face. But Voris has his, he's dyed his hair or has a wig. I I don't know if it's, if it's real or if it's a toupee, but anyway, it's now platinum blonde. It's, it's just really, really weird. And again, going back to what super nerd pointed out that these things just keep repeating. Remember whose, whose personal appearance changed drastically right before he self-sabotaged and imploded? Karapi. Remember how Karapi dyed his hair jet black, dyed his goatee jet black. He looked like the Satanist. Um, what's Crowley? the Satanist name? Crowley. He looked like Alistair. He looked exactly like Alistair Crowley. What, what in the hell are you doing? You're a Catholic priest. Why do you need to be dyeing your hair? And, Why you, say, do you, need to- and you say what in the hell, um, ironically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it is. It's, it is from the pit of hell. And the fact that Karapi looked like the world's most famous Satanist. I mean, woo, red flag up the pole once again. So Voris has been altering his, his physical appearance. And, but now the thing that's just over the top is he, he is destroying himself and he is destroying church militant. He employs a lot of people. Um, I mean, not, not thousands and thousands, but dozens. I think he employs dozens of people. And this whole thing is going to crash and burn. And it's all his own doing. He's, he's do, I mean, the, the Nazi tweeting and, and, and all of that, that's just, that's just unbelievable. Very, very typical of diabolical narcissists when they feel themselves, oftentimes when they feel themselves backed into a corner, um, they will self-sabotage and rage. And they'll do that with relationships too. Um, if let's say they're in a, they're in a marriage and, Let's say that the ma- that the husband is a diabolical narcissist and he's been beating and abusing the wife and he gets the the feeling and the notion that maybe the wife is going to actually do something about this, either involve law enforcement, file for civil divorce, move out, just anything like that. Um, the diabolical narcissist will then go on the self-sabotaging attack. Um, it's, it's just what they do. It's what they do. Um, when they're like, for example, in, involved in companies and fraud, 
when they get towards the very end and they feel like, you know, they're painted into a corner and, you know, the walls are, are shutting in on them, they'll self-sabotage. Um, and so now what you should watch for with Voris is he's going to start blaming, he's going to start blaming basically everybody. Everybody's a bunch of Nazis. Trads are all a bunch of Nazis. Trads are all a bunch of pedophiles. This has already started. I mean, he's hinting at this. He's hinting at this that the SSPX are all a bunch of Nazis and pedophiles across the board. Now that the ratio against him on on social media is basically running at 100%, he's now going to start saying that all trads are Nazis, or I, I strongly suspect he will start saying that all trads are Nazis, all trads are pedophiles, et cetera, et cetera, because he's, he's, he's bound and determined to completely destroy himself and church militant. Folks, my, my advice is step back, let him do it. Let him do it. It's why do we need to have some crazy narcissist like this being the one of the top public faces of this? It's just it's just no good. And, you know, go, circling back, you know, there's there's Voris, there's Leatherby. And uh, I was messaging with with Mark and Dr. Matza. And I sent Dr. Matza just a little quick message. And I just said, thank you for being a normal human being. <laughs> you know, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for, for doing this work and this research that you've done, coming forth with the Matza hypothesis and being just a normal guy, you know, a really cool, down to earth, totally normal dude. Thank, thank you for that. Because it just seems like you take two steps forward or one step forward, two steps back, because then you've just got you know, like the Leatherby situation. Well, here you go. Here's your boy. He says he commemorates Benedict and he's been, he's been screwing his, his female spiritual directees for low how many years now? Well, there you go. Well, that's exactly Satan's plan. And the only thing I can say is I'm not even remotely, remotely discouraged or disheartened by this. We just keep going. We just keep going. That's all you can do. But uh, it also goes to prove the point that when something like this happens and you don't know the players involved, it's best to just sit and watch for a second and just you know, let, let some background information come out. And if there is, if there are any skeletons or there are any, if there is any dirty laundry, give it, give it an opportunity, give it, give it some time to come out and um, you'll be happy that you did. It's, it's actually a question of prudence. Just don't go jumping on and declaring people that you've never met, that you don't know, that you have no idea who they are. Don't go jumping on a bandwagon, declaring them to be 100%. You know, do your due diligence and research people and um, make, make sure you don't have to declare what side, whether or not you're on board with somebody like instantaneously. Sometimes it is prudent to wait. And in fact, oftentimes it's prudent to wait. So that's, that's my soapbox. There it is. And I was just lamenting, thinking as you were going through all this horrible uh, news that I didn't come up with anything happy and upbeat in the podcast. But uh, you you mentioned Dr. Matza, and this is happy and this is upbeat. He's uh, starting some online uh, courses. I yeah. think it's church history, although I, I all I wrote down in my notes is the online Matza Academy. I, I don't know what he's calling it. That's not the name. That's just the name I gave it in my notes. Yeah. But, uh, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. He yes. needs a certain amount of people to pre-register. And uh, he was asking me, he's been asking me some questions about the best way to do this. And I, I talked him out of a very expensive solution, said, why don't you just use Zoom since that's what a lot of people are doing. And he, he um, talked to some other people and that's, that's what's going to go on there. 
And uh, I don't think it's open yet, but I think it's going to be open soon. He needs a certain uh, number of people to pre-register, and then he'll go ahead and do it. But uh, that's awesome. Um, I might do it. I mean, he. Yeah, I'm thinking about doing it too. He's an historian, and one of the best defenses that you have, and one of the reasons that our civilization is crumbling so quickly, is because knowledge of history has been pretty much eliminated. Kids today, especially, have absolutely no clue about anything. We've talked about this before. I mean, every it's so disheartening. Every man on the street. Um, video compilation that they do where they go onto college campuses and ask them questions like, when was the American Revolution? What year was the Declaration of Independence? When was World War II? When was the Civil War? And I mean, the last one I saw, they asked somebody when when the Civil War was. And it was, I think they were on like UCLA campus or something like that. H- high dollar school high dollar school they asked they asked american white teenagers when was the civil war the american civil war and one of them answered 1975 and you're just like okay um one of the ways that you defend your civilization and maintain your civilization is by knowing your history and all of us obviously could could do better and so he's is so dr matza is i think his specialty is medieval church history fascinating um fascinating epoch and and a lot of and and very informative for what we're going through today because there were anti-papacies and stuff like that now granted it was it was political it was purely political we're not talking about someone um literally trying to destroy the Catholic faith. We're just talking about, you know, the Medici's gunning for power over, over the Kijis or the Borgias or the Barberinis or whatever, you know, but, um, those darn Italians screw everything up. I know, I know, I know, (laughs) but it's such a pretty country. (laughs) Yeah. At least, at least the language works well for singing. Indeed. Indeed. Um, and for opera, I guess. Um, but we all need to know our history. So yeah, we super nerd and I both might end up being on Dr. Matz's um, history course. So definitely check that out. And let's see, did we have anything else we wanted to cover on this podcast or that's, that pretty that's much all it? of my bullet points. I don't think I have anything else. Nope. That looks like it to me. Oh, cool. Then we can uh, go into the wrap up the email yep. address for the podcast where you can send feedback, comments, suggestions, or good news items to cover at the end of the podcast. The email address mm-hmm. is podcast at barnhart.biz. Anne expresses her profound gratitude to all of her benefactors by having at least one mass every single day said for their intentions, typically two, sometimes three. Um, that's these are traditional Catholic, uh, traditional Roman. Let me say that again. Traditional Latin masses. Yes. Yeah, extraordinary, extraordinary form. Um, I'm going to trip over my words if I try to say that four more times. <laughs> and plus, once once every week, a traditional requiem mass for everybody who, everybody who died the previous week, whether it's a stroke uh, in the case of um, Biden here in a few weeks or just whatever whatever happened. I mean, if he dies from a stroke, they're going to call it COVID-19 anyway. So whatever. Well, of course. Did you see that they there was a guy who was a roofer? He was wor- He was working on a roof and got struck by lightning and he got classified as a Corona cold death. Apparently his, his dead body tested positive for who knows what, for the virus or for antibodies, who knows what struck by lightning classified as Corona cold. That tells you what a scam it is. I was going to make a joke about lightning curing COVID, but no, not in this case, but, Eh, but but I've already made the point uh, before that it would, 
it could actually be a legally actionable breach of fiduciary duty. If somebody shows up uh, in, in a hospital on, you know, in route to the morgue and they don't test them for COVID to see whether or not they can get that $29,000 claim. Ah, uh, uh, it's funny because it's true. It's sad because it's true too. Yep. But we were talking about the Requiem Mass. Everybody who died in the previous week, there is a traditional uh, Requiem Mass said for their intentions. And please take a moment to pray for these priests. We need them mm. more than ever. And they are being sidelined by the most... Uh, stupid tangential accusations being made um set aside the idiots who are doing stupid things and and becoming novus ordo certificantus however that works you know, the, the the good guys are being sidelined um at, at alarming rates so it, this is another call too don't don't take priests for granted go to confession when you get the chance if you say hey i just went last week you, there's no guarantee you're going to get next week if you're on a two-week cadence. Go when you've got the chance. Don't cut people off if there's a mile-and-a-half-long line. But if you've got the opportunity, go. Yep. And the, by the way, that's a sign that you're in a good parish is the, if the confession line is long. That's, that that's means right. people take, them, take, take it seriously that they need to be ready for, for their judgment. That's right. The Barnhart Podcast is a production of Super Nerd Media. If you found something of value in this or previous episodes and would like to return some value, that episode with Nurse Claire was awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I, wasn't I just it? Just gotta though? say yeah. that that was that was awesome. Uh, if you uh, anyway, if you found some value in these podcasts, please visit supernerdmedia.com and there is details there for how to donate. And I want to say thank you to Richard uh, who sent something in via the mail. Uh, the PO box is it's not PO box; it's UPS store, or whatever. That address is in the show notes. Um, and also to John, Mike, and Marion, who sent in something via the Amazon option. Thank you very much. That helps keep everything going here. And uh, I will turn it over to you for the Matthew 1720 finale. Absolutely. Um, fasting, prayer every day, obviously. Fast twice a week if you can. The fourfold intention is that Bergoglio be publicly recognized and removed as anti-Pope and the whole thing be nullified. That Pope Benedict XVI Ratzinger be publicly recognized as having been the one and only living Pope since April of 2005. That Bergoglio repent, revert to Catholicism, die in a state of grace in the fullness of time and someday achieve the beatific vision and that Pope Benedict XVI Ratzinger um, repent of anything he might need to repent of, um, die in a state of grace in the fullness of time. And a little aside, it sounds like he's doing much better. He had, it sounds like he had shingles or something like shingles and he had a rash on his face, but reports from Rome are that he's doing a lot better and intends to keep writing. And so he's, he must not be too bad. Um, and, uh, die, die in a state of grace in the fullness of time. And likewise, someday achieve the beatific vision. Nothing less will do. Uh, pray, pray, pray. And <laughs> if, if you, if you still haven't become convinced that God can do absolutely anything and that future events are basically unpredictable after everything that's happened in the last seven months, well, then I don't know what to tell you, but just, Believe me when I tell you, please, that this this can and will resolve. It will resolve. It's just a matter of how, and it's just a matter of when, and it's just a matter of how we all behave and react to it. And um, so I think our fourfold intention covers all the bases. So please join me with the Matthew 1720 intention. And, and while the 
while the reference that this will all be resolved at some point is, is very happy and hopeful there, that also belies the fact that things could get very energetic and, and kinetic in the meantime. And you posted yes. something on your blog about the, the army national guard reorganizing into eight, uh, cores that to sub supplement the 10 active duty cores because they're actively, uh, organizing now for the, the anticipating the possibility of going to war with China and or Russia. Yes. And that, to me, that immediately brings to mind the prophecy of Akita that uh, a, a vast number of people are going to die from fire from the sky. We have the technology to make that happen, and if the U.S. and China or U.S. and Russia or U.S., China, and Russia go to war, that would be one way. You've mentioned um, sterilization, but that would be one way to get the population down by several billion. That's one way to do it. And the other prophecy that, that rings very, very – that the rings clear in all of this is our lady of Fatima saying that entire nations will be annihilated. And a lot of people for including Protestants uh, looking at end times have, have nervously remarked for a very long time that the United States of America seems to not have any mention anywhere in any significant or um, realistic um, end times prophecies. And no, yeah, because yeah. it because it's the spiritual Jerusalem and it's the spiritual not Jerusalem. That's Elaborate. what it boils down to. The spiritual Jerusalem is the Catholic faith. Yes. The the, new, the new Israel and and that's that's the dividing factor. I mean, we, the the idea of God versus uh, Satan that's been ever since the well since the beginning of time. And on this planet, it's been ever since the uh, Garden of Eden. Some of the scholars have speculated that it was no more than two hours into the whole the whole um, experience of creation that Adam and Eve fell. They didn't last a long time before they fell is the point. Um, where I was going with this is that for, for our non-Catholic listeners, think seriously about you know taking, taking seizing the opportunity now while you've got the chance to become Catholic. Mm-hmm. It is the one true faith. It is the one true church founded by Jesus Christ in the upper room. It is the the new Israel. So when you when you're you know looking at the Psalms and reading all these prayers and all of this stuff, it's, it's talking about Israel, uh, Israel, oh Israel, and Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem. It, it's not talking about your super fun rock band church, and it's not talking about you know. What the, the Presbyterians or the Methodists or who even cares? I mean, you notice that nobody cares. Nobody cares what the grand buffalo of the Presbyterians says about anything. Nobody cares what the supreme elk of the Methodists says about anything. What 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 is all of this turning on? What are what are events completely tied up with and 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 pivoting upon? It's the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And now we're to the point where we're even through the matzah thesis asking the question, has, has the one holy Catholic and apostolic church been somehow possibly delinked even from the city of Rome? Um, we don't know, but we know that something absolutely horrific happened um, to Pope Benedict and, and the papacy. And we are in a state of abject turmoil because of this. Nobody cares about what Pastor Chad at Superfund Rock Band Church says or thinks about anything because Pastor Chad and none of the rest of them have any authority and they don't have any bearing on anything. Um, what matters is the one true faith. 
You've got it. You see it. It's right in front of you. Get into it. People are absolutely converting. Even with all of this garbage going on, people are converting all over the place, coming, coming home to the, to the one true church. Get it done. How much time? How, how, when is the next lockdown going to come? When is, it, when is the U.S. going to turn into Melbourne, Australia, where they'll, they'll literally attack you, choke you out, and throw you to the ground if they see you outside without their face diaper on? Oh, it's, it's coming. The, the flu season, the, the fall flu season is only a few weeks away, folks. And they're already pumping it. They're already saying this is going to be the worst flu season ever. Well, because this is the this has been the agenda all along to use the seasonal cold and flu season to just constantly give them excuse to have this totalitarian tyranny. How much longer do you think you have? How much longer do you think you have? Get it done now. Indeed. And until next time, I am Super Nerd. And I'm Anne. Thanks, guys. God bless. 